Did you ever have a toothache and uh, you decide, well, you need to go to the dentist? And then just before you get to the dentist, your tooth quits hurting. I mean, you don't feel like you need to go. I find the same thing with an automobile. <laughs> you, something is not running right, and you drive it to the garage, and all of a sudden it just smooths out, you know, with no trouble. And uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of feel like that about this ordeal tomorrow. Uh, I, I feel like I could get by without it, but I, I realize I can't. All right. Turn with me, please, to Second Timothy chapter four, the book of Second Timothy chapter four. I'd like to read beginning at verse number seven. Second Timothy chapter four, and beginning at verse number seven. This verse 7 is perhaps one of the, the more familiar verses that come from the lips and the heart of the servant of God, Paul the Apostle. But it begins like this at verse 7, if you found the place, and says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark, that is John Mark, and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. You can almost hear a sob in the voice of the apostle as he writes these words to young Timothy. His heart literally is overjoyed at one moment, and then there comes that note of sadness. He is rejoicing in the fact that God's grace has enabled him to fight a good fight, to finish the course, to stand true and faithful to the Lord, and he has reason to rejoice in that. And any of us should have the same reason when it comes that hour when the Lord will call us home to himself. That we can say with Paul, indeed, these very words. No wonder he could say then, back in verse 6, that we did not read, For I am now ready to be offered. And certainly a man is in readiness when he has been so faithful as Paul had been in his own life. But then you come down to verse number 10, and you somehow feel the heartthrob of this great servant of God. He now is brokenhearted because one whose name is Demas has forsaken him. And then there's that other note that has somewhat of sadness in it when he says, only Luke is with me. Everyone else seemingly had gone, had departed, and gone to other fields of service and so on. So I've begun to think about 
Demas in particular. And I could not help but just tag him as one who was absent without official leave. They called that in the military A-W-O-L. And yet again, that God somehow would give us the same kind of spirit that Ruth talked about in the book of Ruth in chapter 1 and verse 14. When she said, entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest, I will go, where thou lodgest. I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Now that's what you call real commitment. Here then is the kind of spirit that I pray God will give me and will give every one of us here at Old Return Baptist Church. God grant us as well that kind of heart that Job had even. When Job said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. That's commitment in spite of hardships in spite of sickness, in spite of the loss of loved ones, and in Job's case, his sons, all yet he could say, whatever comes my way, yet I am going to serve thee. God grant us that kind of attitude and that kind of a spirit. As you look at Demas, There are four things that are relative to his failure to follow through or that caused him to become a deserter. A one who now has departed, as Paul said. His failure in the first place of the four things that are relative, let me suggest to you thinking that his failure was first of all from inside. A man never fails outside until he's first failed on the inside. Even an athlete will tell you that. If he is going to be a winner out on the court or on the field or in the ring, he must first of all be a winner on the inside. But yet many a child of God has failed and become a deserter as a result of a spiritual implosion. Not an explosion, but a spiritual implosion. Have you seen those buildings, uh, high-rise buildings that the fellows come in and set those dynamite charges in such a way that the building, instead of falling out, just simply falls in? Peter, you'll remember, failed the Lord and denied him because, first of all, he had failed the Lord on the inside as a result of his own super-ego and by reason of his own self-confidence. Rome fell itself from the inside, historians tell us. Not because there were greater military powers that came against them, but because of the corruption that existed on the inside. Samson fell 
Though a strong man, yet he deserted and he became a failure in his life because he played with sin. Sin was a plaything to him. So as a result, he fell on the inside. I think as well of uh, the fact that here, as I look at Demas, his failure was not only from the inside, but his failure, think of this, was not intentional. I don't believe Demas set out on that journey as a missionary with Paul and the others and said, I tell you what, I'm going to start, but I'm going I'm to cave in. I'm not going to finish this, this journey. I plan to backslide and become a deserter to the cause of Christ. I do not know of any one truly born again believer that starts out in his life to serve God with the desired intent of heart to fail God and to not complete his journey. No man starts out in his life with that kind of idea, but he starts out with dreams. He starts out uh, dreaming of what he could accomplish for God. Uh, He starts out uh, with desires uh, that are aflame. How many I've seen come in revival meetings that I've preached over the years and with gushing emotion, they have committed themselves to serve God, perhaps to be a missionary. Perhaps to be a preacher, a teacher, a a good Christian witness. And yet, though they really, I believe, meant it at the moment, somehow they became A-W-L. I've gone back to the same places many times, year after year, and some of those who really started out with a great burst of spiritual energy have fallen by the wayside like poor Demas did. Then there have been those decisions we start out with. I have decided to follow Jesus, we sing. The world, the cross before me, the world behind me. But isn't it strange how that becomes a reversal? How oftentimes, instead of the cross being in front of us and the world behind us, strangely enough, the world becomes in the front place of our life. And as a result, we fall by the wayside. Not only that, but in a third fact relative to Demas' demise uh, and to his desertion. Let me also remind you uh, that that deserting uh, was not immediate. I mean, it didn't happen just overnight. There was a process of inward thinking. There was a process of an attitude that continued to grow and grow and grow until it mastered Demas and he fell by the wayside. You know, even our backsliding is not an immediate thing. Usually it is a gradual process. The prodigal son, by the way, was a prodigal before he wound up in the hog bin. He was a prodigal at heart even before he said goodbye to his father and departed the old home place down in his heart. He was a rebel on the inside. He was a self-centered soul. 
He was determined to have his own way and as a result, we know, wound up in the hog pen. The man Achan, who stole the garment of Babylon and the gold and the silver, that was not an immediate thing. In his own confession before Joshua, when he was confronted with what he had done, do you remember what Achan said? He said, I saw, I coveted, I took, I hid. Do you see the gradual progression? Go back to Mother Eve in the Garden of Eden. And you'll find that same progression that brings a person to an outright disobedience and a forsaking of the way of God. In Genesis 3 verse 6, you remember these words and I read them. When the woman, that is Eve, saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof. You know, the devil always paints a beautiful picture when he's seeking to allure and tempt a soul. He always paints it. You remember those uh, liquor advertisements and the beer advertisements? And here is the, uh, a beautiful woman uh, uh, dressed in a black evening gown and a beautiful red rose pinned in her hair. Diamonds are sparkling uh, around her neck and her finger is covered with the most exquisite rings. And yet... The liquor company is saying, this is the way to go. And many a poor, foolish man or woman and young person has listened that. They saw that. They pictured it in their mind. But remember this. The liquor company doesn't show you the backside of that picture. They don't show you that run-down old hag, matted hair. Swollen eyes, staggering, stumbling down the street, loss of self-respect and decency. No, the devil paints a beautiful picture and allures people into his vice grip. Not only was this failure of Demas started from the inside, not only was it not intentional, and I don't, many of Christians said to me, you know, I didn't really intend to do that. I've had men to say to me as they grip prison bars and look at me and say, Preacher, I had no idea, I had no plan on being here. This was not my plan at all. And yet how full of trickery and deceit is Satan. So it is not intentional and it's not necessarily immediate. You know, gradually we slip away from the Lord. We easily slip away from the reading of His Word. Oh, I know we get busy about doing this, that, and the other, and we're too busy, and uh, we just kind of push it aside for one day, and maybe another day, until finally we have no time nor place to get in God's Word. Prayer is the same thing. Let me ask you, how long has it been since you really got on your knees 
and talk to God about your life, about your family, about your marriage, about your church. And yet, you see, we can slip away from God so easily and so gradually that we're often not even aware. Paul wrote in the Hebrew letter and he said this, Take heed lest you drift. And the word is not drift in our, in our Bible, but that's the gist and the meaning of the term. Uh, Let these things slip away from you. The word is drifting, drifting, like a ship that has been anchored uh, and the anchor is down, uh, but somehow that anchor is pulled up and unawares to the crew, uh, that ship just gradually, gradually floats out with the tide. How easily our lives are affected uh, by just little things. Little thing, perhaps it is uh, uh, some sin, something that we know has not been right in our heart with God. And we often say to ourselves, I know it's not right, but sooner or later I'm going to get this thing squared up with God. And sometimes it happens between individuals, wives, husbands, children, parents, and we just let something ride. And it grows bigger and bigger and brings us down in utter failure. But Demas' failure was also in this fourth thing, let me mention. His failure was not intellectual. And I mean by that. It one that Demas certainly did not know it is wrong to give up the calling and the commitment that he had made. You know, we often do things we know we shouldn't do, right? Come on, fess up. The whole story is we, some things we know we shouldn't do, and yet we'll go right ahead and do it. Now, I'm sure that down inside, when Demas said to Paul, I can't take this anymore, I'm leaving, I'm going somewhere else, I'm sure that he intellectually knew that he was making a foolish decision. How do you feel the first time you really Fail to read the word. Whereas maybe you've been reading it daily. And maybe you felt a little tinge of guilt. But isn't it strange how we can smother that conscience and that guilt? How, uh, the first time you went a week without getting before God on your face and on your knees. First time you laid out a church when you could have been there. Well, there's a little tinge of guilt. But then how much easier it became the next time. And easier the next time. What I'm trying to say to you is this. There is danger in our becoming an A-W-O-L Christian if we are not extremely careful. Now, Paul was was pained very deeply, I believe, because of what happened in the life of Demas. And I think primarily because Paul was a man of character. He was a man who did not know the meaning of the word quit. He didn't know that. And he proved it in his life. Now, being a man of such a character and of such an attitude of heart, 
Paul somehow could not understand why someone else would not have the same sense of commitment. And even you'll find Paul in writing to the early churches. For example, the church of Corinth, he wrote to them and said, Brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable. Hear those words? Be steadfast, be unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Paul believed everybody else ought to have that commitment. That we cer- And certainly the Holy Spirit believes that. And he inspired Paul to write such words in Holy Scripture. He had encouraged young Timothy even in this third, in the second chapter, in the third verse, he, he encouraged Timothy by saying, Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier. You hear that, that no quit kind of attitude? Things may get rough, he said, but don't bail out. Just commit yourself, Timothy. And then if you go back to chapter 3, you'll find him saying uh, in verse number 2, be instead in season and out of season. At verse number 3, he warns of those who will not endure. This is in chapter 3. And at verse 3, he says, The time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine. Verse 4, look at his encouragement. He said, They shall turn away their ears from the truth. Verse 5 of chapter 3 encourages Timothy, endure affliction. In verse 6 and 7, he testifies here of his own steadfastness when he said, I have finished the course. I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. By the way, I found this interesting. The name Demas is only mentioned three times in the New Testament. Three times. And I think the three times that his name is mentioned really tells you something about this fellow. He is mentioned in the book of Philemon in the 24th verse. And you'll find in that verse that he is listed as one of Paul's, here's his term, fellow laborers. I mean, this fellow hired in and got to work in a hurry. He was laboring alongside Paul. Hey, do you remember when you, when you first got saved? <laughs> you, you were willing to do anything. I mean, you were anxious to labor for the Lord and get a job done for Him. And you became in your early Christian life a fellow laborer. But then you turn to Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14 for the second mention. And he is mentioned, his name, but without any comment or adjective or any description. Amazing that a fellow could come from a fellow laborer to nothing but a name. And you know, we got a lot of Christians who are Christians in name only. They bear the name of Christ. But yet like Demas, that's about all that you could say about him. I met a fellow not long ago, came upon an accident. 
I came upon this accident, and the fellows out there, I mean, he is cussing and snorting. I never heard such in my life. So after he kind of got calmed down, I said to him, Sir, I'd like to ask you a question. Oh, yeah, what is it? I said, Are you, are you a Christian? Oh, he said, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And he almost used an expletive to describe his Christianity. But uh, he said, uh, old, old preacher so-and-so baptized me. I said, well, evidently he didn't hold you under long enough, did he? But the truth is, there are many who are just have a name. That's all. They're Christian. They're not a Jew. They're not a Muslim. They're a Christian. And so Demas had nothing but a name at this point. But look in 2 Timothy 4 again at verse 10 uh, that we have read in our text. And be reminded again uh, that he is revealed uh, as a defector. Look at the progression. Demas, the fellow laborer. Then just De Demas, just a Christian, just a member. You know, we've got a lot of folk like that. They're just members. <laughs> That's about it. Just a member, just a Christian. And then finally Demas becomes the deserter. And Paul said, because he loved this present world. Now, Jesus taught us this. There's, no, there's not room enough in your heart to have two loves of this nature. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. You, again, the scripture says, you'll either love the one and hate the other. The Bible teaches us that we are to love God and hate evil. Why don't we quit kidding ourselves and deceiving ourselves in the thinking that we really love God and we love our Lord Jesus and yet we're loving the world at the same time? They don't mix. Oh, darling, what is that old hillbilly song? You can't love to. I like that. Now, guy, sing that for us sometime, will you? <laughs> Here then before you is the history of a spiritual degeneration. The picture is clearer as you look at Demas. Now let me close by giving you three things. It could have been that Demas begun to follow Christ without first counting the cost. Now, wise man will count the cost. It doesn't cost anything to be saved. That's paid for. But it cost a great deal to become a true disciple of our Lord Jesus. To become a true follower. In Luke chapter 14, remember this, this passage where the Lord talked about, if anybody will come after me, let him deny himself, so forth. And then he gave an illustration of a man who started to build a tower. But the man, when he got about halfway through, found out he did not have sufficient to finish it. As a result, everybody that came by began to mock and laugh and say, ha, ha, that old boy was really going to make a mark, wasn't he? But he didn't have enough to finish it. And he tells about again in that same illustration. 
A man who starts out to face an enemy with a thousand or a, a thousand and he meets an army that has two thousand and he finds that he doesn't have sufficient power militarily to overcome the enemy and he has to sue for peace with the enemy. I wonder when the world looks at you and me I wonder, do they sometimes laugh under their breath and say, oh boy, he started out, she started out to really do great things, but I knew it wouldn't last. I knew it wasn't anything to it. But Demas became a laughingstock. He started out to be a great missionary helper with the Apostle Paul, but then he forsakes he did not have sufficient to finish it. Discipleship calls for sacrifice. It calls for the sacrifice of self. It calls for the sacrifice of strength. It calls for the sacrifice of your substance. If we are to be a true disciple, now listen, being a disciple, and I hope you'll understand this, was not designed for sissies. It wasn't designed for people that didn't have backbone and grit and gut, or I should have said intestinal fortitude. In other words, they just simply have failed to realize there is a cost and there is a demand on the life of the person who will follow the Lord Jesus. I challenge you sometimes to read Fox's Book of Martyrs. And read of those great old soldiers of the cross, many who were burned to death at the stake, many who were turned to the lions and they devoured them, many who literally were crucified as our Lord was, and uh, men who were, were starved and put in, uh, in uh, uh, animal skins and wrapped. And that animal skin was made wet. And when it started to dry, it would just close in and choke the life out of, of those that had been wrapped in those animal skins. And you know why? Because they followed Jesus Christ. They indeed stood firm. And you and I today, as little as we realize, are here because of those who shed, gave their lives as testimonies for our Lord Jesus. Again, his demise and his departure could have been as a result of fear. His name is interesting. If you've ever looked it up, you know what the name Demas means? It means popular. Popular. Here was a young man who wanted, indeed, the applause and the approval of the crowd. And he was fearing the frown and the disapproval of those that he may have been around and whom he may have been with. Jesus never promised, if you follow him, the world around you will applaud you and vote you number one. Uh, never has the Bible revealed or even suggested that as you become like Jesus, the world will fall in love with you. 
It's not cheers, but a cross. It's not applause that you can expect from the world, but a tax. It's not a hand clap, but often a heartache that comes as a result of your being a learner and a follower of a But they want the approval of the world at the same time. They don't go together, folks. And you can't have one, I can't have both. Ah, oh, it's either one or the other. And if you're like Demas, you're going to turn and say, Applaud me, world. I left that old fanatic Paul over there. Why, he's over there and all kind of gets thrown in jail for preaching about Jesus. Oh, I want your applause. And he turned away from Paul and turned to the world to get their smile and their approval. How many a person has bowed to the temptation of the, their peers to drink their first beer? to gamble the first time, to be immoral, to be sexually active, and all of these things. And yet, oh, what a tragedy. A life that's ruined, a life that will never erase that scar and that furrow that's been made in their life. A third reason, and I close with this. Demas could have forsaken Paul because of his love for ease and comfort. I mean, he wanted, a, he wanted a, an easy chair. He wanted to feel comfortable. You know, we got a lot of people like that in the church world. They want to feel comfortable. They want to be at ease. Don't disturb us. Don't bother us. And many of us are so asleep spiritually that when the preacher even tells the truth, it's like fighting flies, you know. You're waking me up. Don't bother me. The whole story then of young Demas is that he wanted comfort more than he wanted Christ. He wanted the easy way. The half-hearted Christian will always seek to be comfortable. But I do not know of much of anything that's been accomplished of great good for God's glory that did not involve some discomfort somewhere. And so Demas had a problem with three basic things. Do you have these problems? He had a problem in his love life. He didn't really love the Lord, his God, with all of his heart. He loved the world. He had a problem with the, his loyalty. A problem of being committed, of being, uh, of being sold out. To the cause of Christ. And finally, he had a problem with his location. How many times, I could not tell you, I've had people say this. Well, you know, if the situation were different, I could really do great things for God. If I were in a different locality, if I lived in a different community, if I had a different husband or a different wife, Boy, I could do great things for God. No, you wouldn't. 
Your trouble's in your heart. It's not in your surroundings. It's not in your, uh, your circumstance. Paul, Demas had that problem down on the inside. And he was saying, oh, I do so much for Jesus if I could just get away from Paul. And so he left. I've told you before, the illustration of the dogwood tree. I like that. A lot of times I get walking out in the woods, and especially I love it in the springtime when the dogwoods are blooming. And I walked one day way deep into the woods, so far that I didn't even hear any traffic, didn't hear any horns blowing. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven for sure. I'd hear anything like that. All of a sudden, I heard the trickling of a little branch. And I made my way to that sound of the water in that little branch. When I got over there, I sat down right on the side of that little creek. Should I say creek? Because my Yankee friend has gotten converted yet. It's not creek, it's creek. Anyway. But anyway, I sat down on the side of the creek, and I looked down after a while, and there was the most beautiful dogwood tree just kind of hanging out over that little branch. And the blooms were so magnificent. I just sat there and admired the beauty of that dogwood tree. And then the thought came. This little dogwood tree, God created it. And he put that little tree way over here in the midst of the forest. No automobile passes by. Nobody hardly comes this way. But the little dogwood tree was blooming anyhow. No one saw it to applaud it. No one was there to appreciate it except me. And yet, the little tree was just blooming for all it is worth. Say, that's what we need to remember. Bloom where you're planted. The circumstance you find yourself in, the hardships, the desertions, the, the abandonments. Listen, you're where God wants you. And just bloom for His glory. Just be radiant for Him. Don't let the devil tempt you into becoming an AWOL Christian. Let's stay by the stuff. Do what God's called us to do. Never, who was it? Churchill, wasn't it, who said, Never, 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 never give up. I like that. God help us. To stay and be able to say with Paul, I have fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the course. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And especially to all those who love our Lord's appearing. Let's stand together to pray. I don't think I have talked to people very much tonight who have already outwardly become a Demas. But maybe the devil's tempted you and the thought has 
pass through your mind or heart. And you've said down inside, maybe I ought to quit. Maybe I ought to, if I could just be somewhere else, I'd bloom and people would admire and appreciate it. But listen, God has his place for you and me. God has his calling for each of us. And the Lord wants us to be able to say, at the end of the trail, I have finished the course. When I was a student in college, I remember many of the many of the fellows and girls, some of them would start out on a course about halfway through. They'd just give up. I can't do this. I can't do this. Listen. But the folks that will make a mark for God in this world are folks like you who will say, Lord, you give me grace. It may be tough. It may be hard. But Lord... I'm going to be true to you. Let's sing a stanza of our song together.